0: Hello and welcome back. There will be spoilers. 100 films, 100 podcasts. My name is Matt Bizzell.
1: And I am Ethan Knight.
0: And we are back with AFI's top 100 list of American films. This is number 45, 1953's Shane.
1: Shane! It's
0: a Western, Ethan.
1: Shane!
0: Look, we got enough of Joey in that film. (laughs) We don't need to hear it from you right now.
1: But what about Shane!
0: Joey is just the worst. (laughs) I know he's a kid and all, but... And he's actually a pretty good actor for a kid at that age, but it's just I don't want Joey in this movie.
1: If I have to hear the name Shane one more fucking time, I don't know what. I just don't know what, Matt.
0: You know, and the movie's not even really about Shane. Like, it's just... No. He's he's
1: there. (sighs) Ugh.
0: Ethan, I didn't know anybody in this film except for Jack. Is it Palance or Palance? I've heard both. Uh, pronunciations.
1: I'm not sure.
0: In any case, I've heard of him before, particularly in Westerns. Isn't he in City Slickers? Isn't he like the bad yes, cowboy Yes, he is in City
1: Slickers. You are correct. He's in City Slickers. So
0: we see that. you know he Definitely that role comes from this film. But at the same time, everyone else was just like a big unknown to me. But... I think it would be most useful if we just dive right into a plot synopsis and start sinking our teeth. I keep using that metaphor. Maybe I should stop. (laughs) We can start cutting this up. Oh, no. We can start doing violence to the corpse. Mm. You know what? Just give us the plot synopsis.
1: (laughs) Shine is the story of a small group of homesteaders in Wyoming who are in a war of intimidation with a local cattle baron named Riker who hopes to scare the homesteaders off their legally acquired land joe and mary and starrett are the de facto leaders of the group and at the film's opening they meet shane a quiet wandering former gunfighter who after learning of their plight offers to stay on with them as a ranch hand shane on a trip into town to the general store slash saloon orders a soda pop for starrett's son joey The men drinking in the bar, who work for Riker, taunt him, and one of them throws whiskey onto Shane's shirt. When Shane returns later with the other homesteaders, he takes the bottle back to the bar to return it, and the men again taunt him. However, he throws whiskey onto the man's shirt this time, prompting a brawl. Starrett joins Shane and helps him defeat the men while Riker swears revenge. Joey, um, which is Joe and Marion's son, takes a liking to Shane and asks him to teach him how to shoot. Shane begins to, but is chastised by Marion, who dislikes guns. Shane argues that they are tools, but Marion remains steadfast, wishing that all the guns in the valley were gone. Later, Jack Wilson, a skilled gunfighter, arrives and provokes one of the homesteaders, Stonewall, into pulling his gun on him. When he does, Wilson shoots and kills him. After the funeral, Riker calls a meeting to negotiate a settlement, but Shane is warned that it is a trap designed to kill the homesteaders, so he plans to go in their place. Starrett wants to shoot it out with Wilson, and and Shane refuses to let him go. The two fight, and Shane knocks Starrett unconscious. Joey secretly uh, follows Shane to the town to observe. At the saloon, Shane shoots and kills Wilson and Riker, and Joey warns him of a third gunman. Shane is wounded, but able to mount his horse and rides out of town, despite Joey's pleading for him to come.
0: There are things in this film, plot-wise, that make a lot of sense. You mentioned the first bar fight where joe and shane take on all of Riker's boys and it's clearly a bonding moment for them right they turn to each other and smile and go about punching which by the way getting punched in the face is not a fun experience and you tend to stop after three or four but people are getting hit in the face like 57 times in this movie (laughs) and they're fine but then when it matters when shane needs to fight joe to make sure joe doesn't go out there and die to jack the gunslinger he hits him with a few punches and the dude goes down Right. So it's just it's just a purpose serving tool, this fist fighting stuff. But those two scenes are mirrored. Right. You've got Joe and Shane on the same side and now they're opposite one another. And it's almost as if Joe is trying to go out there and die because he knows that Marion kind of has a thing for Shane and Shane kind of has a thing for Marion, which is pretty subtextual. I mean, they mention it. They never even say explicitly what the situation is. We're all able to see it. I don't know if it's earned necessarily. It's like, wait, why is this happening? I don't know. I expected Joe to die somewhere in the film so they could get together because it seemed to be that kind of movie. Right. But it's also supposed to be a Western and it's, I counted, there are seven shots that are fired in earnest and anger in this film and like 112 punches. I didn't count the punches. I counted the gunshots. (laughs) You've got Wilson killing Torrance Stonewall, one shot then jack fires twice at shane misses shane fires twice at him kills him then there no maybe there's a little bit more that's four or five no there's seven the gunman on the ledge shoots at him hits him shane turns around shoots him dead seven shots there you go it's just such a strange movie
1: i kept expecting
0: something to happen and nothing ever happened i was like oh the riker boys come to the farm at night that can that can't mean anything good there's gonna be a fight joe's gonna die uh, we just have a conversation, then we leave.
1: It's you know it, it. It's a weird, weirdly anti-gun and violence Western, which is sort of like a anti-violence superhero movie, or like an anti-war Star Wars movie, like the thing that like Westerns are about, especially Westerns this early in. Uh, I don't know, in time, right? Westerns are about the sort of drama of the fight, right? It's about gunslingers. So to take like an anti-gun stance with it is is quite strange.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe if we just turn to our pivotal scene, we can start to make sense of as to why this is on the list and frankly, why it's so high on the list. Mm-hmm. And the scene I chose is the last scene. It is Shane talking to Joey or Little Joey, as he starts to call him, because now he is starting to, you know, become mature, I suppose, through what he's seen, what he's witnessed in the world, and so Shane is recognizing that in him, and he says, "There's no living with a killing," right? Which I've heard before.
1: Yeah, I have too. But can I? I just have to pause you for one second because we got to talk about Joey in the fact that this motherfucking kid. Someone needs to keep an eye on him. He's just wandering out in the fucking wilderness.
0: He apparently runs two miles to town to watch a gunfight. Why doesn't his mother stop him?
1: Right. Why is he... He could get eaten by a bear. He could get kidnapped. He goes and sits by the door of the saloon... And almost certainly could have been shot in the face. In the bar fight, he's standing there and almost gets hit by glass like four times. Like they literally have a little gag reel of him. Like a glass gets thrown at him and he ducks back. Behind. This kid, what? No wonder kids in the in the 8th, 19th century were dying 60% mortality rate before they're 10. Look at this kid. He He's about to get shot in the face. This also
0: brings up an interesting point, and we'll return to our pivotal scene here in just a moment. But <laughs> important tangent: talk about how anti-violence this film tries to be, or Marion portrays herself as. But then at the bar fight, she's talking about how great they were and how awesome it was, and they let this violence go on unabated. Pretty much everyone in the town is pretty complicit with this. What is it? Grafton himself, the one who owns the bar and the store, is it like standing on the stairs. Why? He
1: just—he's just chilling there. He just says, "Stop not- it." Stop, stop, At stop some it. point, I would be like, motherfuckers, get out of my bar.
0: Which he says, but has no move toward enforcing this whatsoever.
1: No! He, they destroy his bar. They literally smash his chairs and tables over each other's heads. The everything. And he's just like, guys, please. Don't. No. Don't do that.
0: Yeah, which was very strange. There's also but no music during those comments. Why have a shotgun? Moments. A shotgun would have helped, yeah. I guess, like... There is this thing about how people are afraid of the law in yeah. this area, but they keep bringing up the fact the law is three days away. Like, there's no law out here, but everyone's like, oh, we got to make sure you coerce him into trying to shoot you so then you can kill him and it's justified, and I guess the law doesn't investigate at that point.
1: Right, which does... Uh, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: So, back to the pivotal scene. <laughs> conclusion of the gunfight. Shane is now saying there's no living with a killing, although it's been clear that he's been doing that for a while. It's also unclear as to why he has to leave the town because they've solved the problem. No more guns in the valley. It not, it's not as if Shane needs gunfighting to live because he was doing just fine as a quote unquote sod buster and working the land. He had hung up his guns, was fine with it. And when he needed to go out there and deal with it, he dealt with it. But there's no reason for him to move on. Like I don't see the impetus for him moving on. I don't see that in this film. I don't think that's earned. Anyway, let's listen to the scene and talk a little bit more about it.
2: Shane. I knew you could, Shane. I knew it. I knew it just as well as anything. Was that him? Is that Wilson? That was him. That was Wilson, all right. He was fast. Fast on the drop. Joey, what are you doing here? I'm sorry, Shane. You don't have to be. You better run back. Can I ride home behind you? Afraid not, Jimmy. Please,
1: why not?
2: I got to be going on.
1: Why, Shane?
2: Man has to be what he is, Jimmy. Can't break the law. I tried it, and it didn't work for me. We want you, Shane. Joey, there's no living with... with a killing. There's no going back from more. Right or wrong, it's a brand. A brand sticks. There's no going back. Now, you run on home to your mother and tell her... Tell her everything's all right. There aren't any more guns in the valley. Jenny. It's bloody. You're hurt. I'm all right, Joey. You go home to your mother and your father and grow up to be strong and straight. Joey. Take care of me.
0: This final scene has Shane riding off, not into the sunset, because the sun's already fallen, just riding off in the darkness, so maybe slight difference in thematization of the typical Western ending. He's been shot, but is apparently fine. That's always hard to tell in a film like this, but it's not exceptionally glory.
1: I think maybe he's meant to to be, to be not be okay. He's going to ride off and die? I think maybe... Um which I, again, I think is, I mean, dude, there's, I'm sure there's a doctor. Uh, but no, I, cause I think that, that, that this ending scene really signals the first moves towards all the other Westerns we've seen, uh, on this list, which tend to be, uh, not traditional Westerns in the, in that sense. They, they tend to be like, riffs on the end of the western or the changing landscape of the uh, for the cowboys you know for the gunfighters uh and i think maybe this is the the start of that right like i think that he kills these people and he doesn't really have a place because it's not this isn't gun smoke or something um where you know they, they that's just what happens right like he's you can't shoot somebody, you can't shoot three people in the face and then be like, Yeah, I'm gonna keep uh, helping you with this tree stump.
0: <laughs> I suppose that's true. Now, this film actually claims to be, and I say it, the film claims to be because I got a description of it on Amazon before I watched it, that it's supposed to disabuse our ideas of the West. Like, he has to be at the end of this era, and we're, I guess, as the audience, supposed to have learned at the end of the film that the old west is no longer tenable but we don't get that argument nearly as heavily as we do in wild bunch butch cassidy the sundance kid films that we'll talk about a little bit later when we get to our three questions so i feel like the central argument of this film if it is very much look this is the end of an era or this is the start of of how there are repercussions of these kinds of gunslinging attitudes and that people like shane don't really exist in the world so easily anymore in the wild west well emphasis less on the wild these days i guess that that we're trying to show how this way of life is coming to an end but it doesn't really play that way like Shane doesn't really face any kind of consequences i mean he's the only thing really sees him riding off in the darkness with being hurt maybe he dies i think i'd respect the film more if he just rides off and dies two or three miles out of town but it leaves that as subtext. I don't know. It, it, I don't find it to be delivering on what it's arguing here.
1: Right. And I think that the problem with that is that it seems to have a anti-violence or at least anti-gun violence, uh, sort of bend. But as you've pointed out, they still fight. There's still, and there's like revelry in the fighting. Um, so it seems to sort of undermine itself. It tries to. I think this film is trying to comment on the the end of the western or the end of the west, uh, and and the shift away from violence. But in doing so, it's a a, a quite violent movie, and it and it it, it leans into that. Um, again, it seems as though it's using the wrong set of tools to critique something you know what i mean yes uh, it just is it's strange and, and it does so with this strange central figure that is not the main character uh by any means which i guess is, is starlet star it or star it sorry um it's not an episode of there will be spoilers unless ethan fucks up a name <laughs> um you know it, it, it i guess it's it's him and his family but there's also that weird like love triangle where the father doesn't see... The film seems to be telling us that the father's not a good father or a good man, and Shane is. I, pff, I well, I have a theory know. about this, Ethan.
0: This is based on a, a, a novel.
1: A novel, yet again, another adaptation.
0: I bet this is far more explicated in the novel. That the yeah. idea of Shane and Marion. Maybe they even actually have an affair, but since it's 1950s cinema, you don't see that. It's not talked about. But speaking of some of the idiosyncrasies or ineffectual rhetoric of this film, one of the most climactic scenes in the entire film based on clues from the score and the action on the screen is when Joey runs in and is yelling bang, bang with his little wooden pistol and Marion's crying as a result. And that felt so unearned. So you're clear with what the movie wants you to feel or think. But it never really gets us there.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think you're right. It, it is. There's that that scene is such a strange – It's the tone is so strange there because it does ask us to be like, oh, we're so horrified that Joey is playing with guns. But the film doesn't – it's not anti-violence at the end of the day, right? Violence has to happen in this film. So it, it just kind of falls flat, right? That, that scene is almost uh, comical. Well,
0: and there's also a permission of violence in most film anyway, even in 1953. It is acceptable. Certainly today we see that. Many films, many of the most successful films have a lot of violence in them. And so trying to use film to critique violence in this way doesn't seem effective. Although we have seen examples, if not on this list, we can think of ready examples where violence is used in a way to make us feel bad about us being viewers of violence clockwork orange for instance
1: yeah definitely uh i don't think this this film doesn't ask us to do the, this film asks us to do the opposite and that is revel in the punching and we, we wait for the gunfight at the end right it's built up to the you know that that is sort of the i i guess the the climax or it's right after the climax right which is would would then be maybe the uh, fight between Starrett and uh, and Shane. Um, so I, I, it's like there's two conflicting viewpoints here, right? We get we sort of are meant to be like Joey, and and sort of like viewers of this sort of fantasy and enjoy and enjoy it like a kid would, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're also meant to sort of identify with Marion who is like don't fight don't shoot guns except hey great job fighting those Riker boys at the bar it's just it's confused i feel like like there's two points of view that i'm not sure which one we're really supposed to take
0: right and so maybe one way for us to try to disentangle this confusion is just to ask our three questions yeah let's do it so what do we owe to this film
1: well uh i think that one of the most obvious things that we owe to this film. I'm going to turn us to one of our uh, Patreon films, which is Logan. This film is uh, is in Logan. There's a clip of it. Um, And Logan has a lot of similar themes, I think. And in fact, I think Logan does what this film is trying to do better.
0: Yes, I remember our conversation with Logan being so affecting for us, how that violence, we really, you know, seeing the end of that film, was like, wow, I, I definitely get the complicity with violence and how we as viewers are also responsible for this, but it also is this great emotionally effective moment where you see this character die.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, I think that just the sort of, uh, adult child relationship that I think this film tries to set up, but just doesn't make the best use of, um, I think Logan does that, uh, a hundred times better. Right. It sets up that same sort of like weird pseudo mentor, um, father figure, perhaps, you know, I guess in this case, in the case of Logan, I guess as close to a father as you can get right. It sets that up. There's much more at stake. It feels like, uh, the little Wolverine clone girl is, um, a much more active character. Um, a much more intriguing character than Joey uh and so i think maybe there is something about like joey as a character that we you know this idea of the young boy who is in some way supposed to be our our ticket into the world right that we see this happen in a lot of other films um is this the first film to do that i i doubt it but is it a film that does it enough well enough that it will be copied i think probably
0: yeah, and to take it a little more close to home for us, we, you just talked about it in one of our bonus episodes. I'd like to talk about some of the canonical episodes that came before this in terms yeah. of the order on the list, right? Definitely films that occur after. But The Wild Bunch is, has a has a very different argument than this film. We've already mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode how it really is exposing us to the glorification of violence and how this violence itself is part of the problem And our revelry in it is problematic in that we are misunderstanding the effects of violence or the purposes or maybe even what we think violence can achieve. Yeah. But I also think to lesser degrees, we see Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in this film, this idea that I'm too old for this shit, right? The times Mm -hmm. are moving on. Also, the Sundance Kid wears a glove on a shooting hand, very much like Jack Wilson, Oh, I didn't catch that. Also, the final scene when he walks into this bar to fight the villains, that is just the Unforgiven. That is the end of the Unforgiven.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, all of the Westerns we've seen on this list so far, none of them have been a pure Western, right? They're Mm -hmm. all uh, critiques or um, deconstructions of the west deconstructions or some sort of there's always a spin so we have not yet had like a uh, you know an old school the hero is good the villain is bad i don't think we will though i
0: don't, I don't think, think that kind either. of narrative is one that this list privileges which i think it has good reason for doing so
1: uh yeah, i uh, to an extent because star wars is pretty high up there on the list and the, the first star wars film is very much the good guys are good and the bad guys are bad right uh the later films will complicate that certainly uh but i think that we could probably find examples of that. so it's just interesting that like the western genre is one that they've chosen to give us several um uh examples of films that are saying similar things not the same thing but similar things rather than just you know the sort of pure instantiation of the genre
0: sure and on a very minor note to what do we owe you also have the character named shane which i know walking dead is passe but two of the main characters fighting over the wife of the other character. Oh yeah. Shane being the one that is usurping that traditional husband role. So I do think that there is something there about that. I don't think that's accidental, but again, very small note, we should move on to our next question. Yeah. Ethan, do we care about this film?
1: Uh, You know what? In, with, in comparison with wild bunch, Sundance kid, unforgiven, this one is harder to, to really be like, yeah. Um, I care about it because it uh, spawns Logan, which is basically the superhero version of this film, which I think it works much better. I,
0: I think the fact that it's placed so highly on this list, I can't get that out of my head. The fact that it's number 45, we're on the back half here. We're getting much closer to that top. I can't see it. I don't understand it. I'll have some more to say about this in the last question. But I think my answer, do I care about this, has to be no, because when I ask, do we care about this, I feel like I'm also implicitly asking in its position on the list.
1: Yeah. And I guess the answer, my answer could be yes, if we understand this film as one of the first, if not the first uh, sort of serious twist on the on the genre right where it's no longer about only good and evil right it's not these sort of very clear black and white dichotomous uh sort of narratives this is one that that seeks to complicate it uh does it do it as well as some of the other examples i don't i don't think so necessarily um but if it is the if we do understand it as the first then i I can see why we should care about this film
0: Well, Ethan, maybe this final question will get us to a more definitive answer of our second question. So that question, as always, is does this film hold up?
1: Uh, And I think the answer to that is, in general, not as well as the other Westerns.
0: Yeah, I think the 50s thing is its own particular issue. But we watched Rear Window very recently, and that's, if not the same year, one year around it or yeah. something like that and really window was it looks, great it was great and it held up well and sure the special effects with special effects but i think there's just generally poor acting in this film
1: yeah I, and i think that um that it, the genre too and sort of sets it up to not hold up quite as well because it's it's essentially an action movie right uh so it says so it claims to be yeah i mean there yeah it may be an action adventure movie to to a point um and i think that's part that's at least part of what it is whereas something like rear window is really more of a, a drama yeah it's a thriller a drama mystery sort of thing um and so we can see that as sort of a an encapsulation of the the 50s or whatever um whereas this is a, a period piece and uh action movies have changed a lot um, whereas dramas are, dramas, thrillers necessarily haven't, right? They are, you can still, you could you could do Rear Window today um, as a period piece and it would, with the same script, and it would work, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this, I think, uh, with the same script, maybe doesn't work as well. Uh, and, the, I mean, the action scenes certainly don't uh, set my, uh, I don't know. I can't think of a fucking analogy. They're not very exciting. I mean, honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think all of this compounded together really makes me not even realize. I mean, I was aware before we, we started this conversation. I didn't have a fun time watching this film. I kept thinking something was going to happen. Nothing did. There wasn't a whole lot of dialogue that seemed to matter. There was all these sort of weird idiosyncrasies about the film itself. Little things bugged me. Like, You've got a Swede, a German. One of the guys appears to be a Canadian. Someone's from Alabama. <laughs> we're in Wyoming. Does all of this match up? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I was never clear on if they were actually legally on this land because they were yeah. called squatters, but they were like, this is my claim. And it's like, okay, well, I have to review the claim system of you know that century and where they actually just kind of really effectively squatters or homesteaders or what did that look like? We get into right. the Native American politics just a little bit, but then completely wiped out away at the end. So just...
1: Uh, unsurprisingly. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I think that that's a problem. And there is that one moment with Riker where you sort of understand his motivation. And I was like, oh, so we're going to kind of feel for him now. And then and then we didn't anymore. Like He's making a valid claim,
0: right? That he does not own the rights to his own production, right? It's a very Marxist criticism that he's right. the one who's cleared this land and has defended it but he has no right to it or no claim to it he doesn't own the means of production in i guess loosely defined and
1: you're mm-hmm. like okay
0: that's somewhat sympathetic but then we abandon that immediately
1: yeah it, it it's just strange it's just strange and again i i see what they're trying to do with the kid and using that as sort of our window into the world But I don't think it's executed as well as it. I mean, the fucking kid's annoying. (laughs) Um, I don't know. It just is a weird film. And there are just better westerns. There just are better westerns. Uh, And, you know, my mother loved to watch westerns on TV. So I have seen bits and pieces of many, 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 many westerns. And this is just not my favorite.
0: Well, then, Ethan, maybe we'll take a look at some of those better Westerns sometime in the future. But I think that's going to conclude our discussion of Shane.
1: Shane!
0: And we'll be back week after next. Ethan, do you know the film?
1: Uh, Philadelphia Story, I think.
0: All right. Then we'll be back for that. But until next time, I've been Matt Bezell.
1: And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. There will be Shane! There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bezell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bezell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight. And that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.